The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC can be found online at overlandpark.cc. Well, welcome to OPCC. Welcome to those of you joining online. We're glad all of you are here today. Um, what I want to say to you, first of all, is I want you to know how proud I am of you. Um, and I really mean that from the bottom of my heart. I'm, I'm humbled to lead you as a group of people. And I believe in you. I believe that you want to grow. And I really believe that's why I was sent uh, to be a part of this ministry, is to help you grow and help you follow the Lord and be all that you are supposed to be. And so um, I'm like 52. Can y'all hear that music? I don't know. I just, the daylight savings time, I'm, I'm half just tempted to say, let's just take a nap. Right, and take a nap and get ready for the rest of the the, the day. Uh, <laughs> and so, so anyway, I uh, I've got some years behind me. I know how to do a few things. Okay, I don't mean that like, oh, look at me. I know how to do. A few. I've learned some things. Uh, I take pride in being able to like fix cars when they break and stuff. And I like to. I don't really like to be able to do that, but I I, I enjoy it a little bit. Kind of a project guy, and I enjoy. Um, learning how to build things, and it's kind of interesting, the, the more things that you go through and you build, the faster you get, because you make a lot of mistakes in the beginning, and, and so I uh, learned a lot about parenting over the last 20 years or so, but, but here's the thing <clears throat> that I know, I believe, as far as from life experience goes, that I know about more than anything else in life. It's how to depend on the Lord. I don't know what that music is, but it is distracting me today. <laughs> no, no, they're fine. It's just, it's kind of a different rhythm today. Uh, and so, but, but I know how to depend on the Lord. And so one of the things that I want to share with you is just take um, what the Lord has taught me, all that I understand about what it means to follow the Lord and really how, like, how um, faith Works. If you're going to depend on the Lord, then you, you need to know how faith works. And if you don't understand how faith works, then you end up with dead faith. And so James talks a little bit about that. The book of James talks about, you know, you need works in your faith, that faith without works is dead. But if you don't understand faith, then you end up with works too, and that can be dead. And so uh, there's a way in which our faith works, and the Holy Spirit is how it works, man. The Holy Spirit is, um, that, this series is called Numa, and that means breath, like the breath of God. And we'll, we'll talk a lot about that over the next few weeks as I teach you some of these things. Um, but, but you think about, okay, what is making us work? What is, what is it behind how we function? And it's like a, a pneumatic tool, okay? I love pneumatic tools. They just sound cool, Right? And so you, a pneumatic tool, it doesn't work without the, the whole thing that makes a, a pneumatic tool work is air. It's compressed air running through into the tool, giving it the power necessary to do the work. And so that's how our faith works. It is the pneuma of God, the breath of God in us through the Holy Spirit, like indwelt in us and us walking in the Spirit that makes us work. And if you get that all screwed up and you don't understand that, you don't understand, man, that it is the power of God, the Spirit of the Lord present in your life that is helping you to function and helping you to do what God wants you to do, 
then you can real easily end up in this place where you're doing religious stuff. And you go to church and, and I do these other, I try to say this one prayer, you know, maybe you say the Lord's Prayer. Um, and you can do a lot of things that are what we would say Christian things, but your faith is not really alive and you don't really know the Lord. You're just doing a religious thing and it's no different than doing some other kind of pagan religion thing and being involved in um, any kind of religion if it's the worship of the earth. You could take and do the same thing with, with Christianity if the breath of God is not in you helping you to be what you're supposed to be. And so it's really important to understand um, that the, the Spirit of God is alive and well. He is moving around us, and I want to teach you how to get in on that movement. There's a way in which we can be a part of the movement of God. As a matter of fact, if you're not a part of the movement of God, it's hard to stay motivated. It's hard to, it's, it's hard to walk in obedience because you start to do everything in your own power. You start to try to please God. You start to try to make sure all of your I's are dotted and your T's are crossed. And so you're focused on all the stuff that you're doing and you don't know how to be. But whenever you're focused on who the Lord is and the movement that is going on around you, um, that's how you stay hot for the Lord. Because what will happen is the Lord will do things and, and you'll just be scratching your head that you were a part of that and you know it was a divine experience just by the way that the things came together. And so we're approaching, we move toward Easter. Easter's a little bit later this year in April. And we're approaching the easiest time of year to invite somebody to church. Doesn't get any easier. And so for you this year, some cool things have happened. The cross has gone up. For the first time since I've been here, since I moved here and started pastoring this church, people, they're starting, they start to know where our church is. Oh, you're that, you're that church with that new cross. Yeah, I know where that's at. And it's kind of cool. You hear things like I'm hearing stories of people saying, oh, you, you know, I'm hearing the story being retold to me about how somebody came to OPCC and they go, oh, you go to OPCC? We've been trying to, uh, we've been thinking about checking that out, which is a weird experience because for me, all the way, all the last 10 years is, has been, I've been telling my kids, friends that um, I, I'm a pastor. Well, where's your church at? What's well, on 148 to Metcalf? And is there's a church on her? Yeah, right. You know, Arby's and the Anytime Fitness and the, right there. There's a church right there. Yeah, there's one right there. It's been there longer than anything else. <laughs> so now that, that's kind of been solved. And so that's refreshing. And I, I, I say that to say, man, the Lord is always moving. It doesn't matter if it's our church or, or another church that belongs to him. He's moving. People are focused around Easter. They're focused on God. Even people that don't know God are focused on God. People, people will come out of the woodwork in a few weeks and, and churches will be filled. It's kind of like Christmas. We call them Christers, right? They go to church on Christmas and Easter, right? And, and so they, they're thinking about God. So you're going to encounter a lot of people that are kind of thinking that way, and they just think, man, people go to church on Easter. I need to go to church. Everybody else is going to church. And so you have that going for you. You have, man, hey, your church has kind of got a presence in the community now, some new things going on. And, and then um, you've got, most importantly, the move of the Lord. And so the Lord is moving on some of these people in a certain way that he wants to be a part of his kingdom, and he will use us 
to be involved in what he's doing, and we can get in on some movement. So it's a great time to experience the movement of the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to unpack the next few weeks, how does God move? And we're going to look at, so I'll do some teaching on the front end, and then we'll look at an example, a model from the Word, how God has moved in that way, and where we can see it playing out in someone's life in, in, uh, uh, historically in the church as the church was starting. And so... Um, <clears throat> What we have to understand is God's presence. We have this thing called the Trinity, okay? And it's, it's an important theological uh, doctrine, is that God exists in three distinct um, personalities, and they're all equally God. And so we look in the Old Testament, and we see God interacting with the world, and we know him as God the Father. And he does things, and he does miraculous things for the people of Israel as he's developing them as a nation, and they're, they're becoming a nation. And God is really using them to tell the story of the entire world about who he is and what he's like. And so he, he descends, like <clears throat> he's leading them out of bondage that they've been in Egypt in slavery, and as he leads them for uh, four decades in the wilderness, he leads them by uh, a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And this cloud would ascend and descend and it would move. And when it ascended from the holy place or the, the tabernacle that they were instructed to um, construct, they were to pack it all up and they would move and they would follow him. And some of us go, man, I... I wish God would still move that way. It'd be a lot easier. Seems God is more powerful that way. It feels that way. Well, then we get to the New Testament, and all of that was to kind of give a historical record and to make prophecies. So God would use prophets and raise them up, and they would prophesy about how God was going to save the world. And, it, and, and so Israel's always looking for this, this Messiah, this prophet that was going to come and save the world and enter in God the Son. They, they didn't put it together until after the fact, but Jesus was God in the flesh. So God the Father, who was in the Old Testament, showing up in this cloud and this pillar of fire, sometimes he would take on human form and interact with them uh, as he did with Abraham and give instruction, but it was, it was kind of a, it was kind of a, it wasn't a normal everyday thing. When we get to Jesus, he's walking with a certain group of people for a certain period of time. And it is God, he is, now God has taken on and robed himself in human flesh. That's why we teach about the virgin birth uh, of Christ, is because it is a miraculous birth. We don't look at Jesus, we see him, he's a human being. But he was not a normal human being like the rest of us, because he didn't have an earthly father. There is a miraculous birth tied to him, and this is just basic fundamental Christian doctrine. And he walks on the planet. And so we look back and we go, well, all right, I can get that Jesus existed, but come on. It, like, what are you talking about? You're, you're so you're sitting here telling me that Jesus was born and he didn't have an earthly daddy. That's right. That's what I'm telling you. And it is a miracle, okay? You say, well, how, how can we believe that? Well, that's what Jesus said. <laughs> and so that's what Jesus did. And we look at Jesus, like Jesus taught all this stuff. And we look and we go, well, who was Jesus? Well, he's somebody that comes and he fulfills all these prophecies that were made, some of them 
thousands of years, hundreds of years before he was born, and he fulfills them. And I think that there's some statistician that says, man, if Jesus, like for one human being to come and be able to fulfill, like, I don't know, uh, half of the prophecies or a third of the prophecies that are made about him in the, in the Old Testament, the odds of one human being being able to do it, they just kind of ran the odds. I don't know how they do that, that stuff. But re I read this in a book one time. A statistician had broken it down. And I said it would be the equivalent of taking um, a person, a human being, and blindfolding them and putting them in Texas and, and taking one quarter and painting it like a color and then throwing it in the middle of Texas and the state of Texas would be covered two feet deep in quarters. He gets one chance to find that corner. All of the prophecies, it'd be six feet deep in quarters. And so we'd look and we go back and we go, now wait a minute. If those are the odds there has to be a God behind this. There has to be something helping that person to be able to do this if those are the odds and he actually did fulfill all of them. And so we look at that and we go, okay, well, what is going on here? It is to show us that, that we're not just making this blind leap of faith in the dark. We don't just believe on, in something and go, well, I think I'll just choose to be Christian. No, I'm like, I'm believing in something. I'm believing in something that has happened. I'm believing in some truth claims. I'm not just believing in some sort of legend. There's a historical record in the Bible that teaches us the story of God, and that's why the Bible is so vitally important. So Jesus comes, and he fulfills all those prophecies, and he dies, and we go, man, well, maybe that would even be easier following Jesus when he walked here on the planet than it was for the people of the Old Testament to follow him. That seems like that would be easier. But Jesus says to the guys that are following him around at that time and, the, and his, his, his disciples, he says, it's expedient that I go away. I'm going to send the comforter. And he's going to come and he's going to help you. And so he says also that we would do greater things than him. Okay? So Jesus is crucified on the cross of Calvary. He dies, and then he rises from the dead. The Spirit's still not present. Like, he's still not indwelling the believer. And then we enter this time, of, he, he, is, he's, he himself prophesied about that the Spirit would come upon them, and they would receive power, they would be witnesses, and they, they would um, go out into all the earth, and they would share the gospel, the good news of Christ. And so on the day of Pentecost, I think it was like 40 days later, they're in the upper room, and the Spirit of God, Jesus has ascended to heaven. He's not walking on the planet in physical form anymore. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God falls on the early disciples, the apostles. They come out, and they're preaching, and they're teaching. And, and the first, like, as soon as it happens, like, there's no church. There's no, like, they didn't have all these churches down on the end of the, the corners. There's no church. There were Jewish synagogues. There were pagan religions. The church as we know it did not exist. And these guys are in hiding because they're afraid that they're going to get crucified and killed just like Jesus did. But the Spirit of God falls on that place. They come out, and they begin speaking. And in that one moment, Peter preached a sermon, and 3,000 people became believers in Christ. And two received the Spirit. And all of a sudden, we go from, there's not a church anywhere, to boom, 3,000 people are now in the church. And then it just rapidly kept happening. All through the book of Acts, we read the church just kept growing. And so it's still growing today. 
And so they were meeting together. They were challenging one another. They were teaching the word. They were teaching the good news of Jesus. And people were receiving Christ, and the church was spreading. And so the church is on every continent, even to today, and it will continue to grow. It will continue to do what it is to do until God chooses his last person that becomes a follower of Christ, and Jesus returns back to the planet physically again for the second time. And so when you look at all of the ways that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit exist, the easiest one is God the Spirit. And we're often say, well, I wish it, it would just be easier if God were present like he was back. He is present. You see, sometimes when we say Holy Spirit, we think we're thinking of this spirit kind of going around. The Holy Spirit is God. God, the Holy Spirit. When we say Holy Spirit, we're saying the same thing as Jesus is God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now, what does the Spirit do? Well, the Spirit indwells the believer. So when I come to a place of belief in my own life, the Lord chooses me. It says, the word says that nobody could come to the Father unless the Father draws him unto himself. And so the Lord draws me unto himself. I begin to wrestle with some of these things. I'm thinking through I'm thinking through these positions. I'm thinking through these truth claims that Jesus made, and I have to decide. I believe Jesus is God, or I don't believe he's God. <laughs> That's the only choice it comes to with Jesus. Uh, I guess there's a third one. Uh, C.S. Lewis said, when it comes to Jesus, you have to come to the, one of these, these three points. He was either a liar, he's lunatic, he's crazy because of the things he believed about himself, or he's Lord of the, the earth, Lord of the universe. Those are the only three options with Jesus. So you can't say, oh, well, Jesus is kind of cool, man. He was a good teacher, but I don't want to follow him. <laughs> Jesus was not a good teacher unless he was God. Because good teachers don't say, I'm God. Right? I would be a bad teacher if I started trying to convince you that I was God in the flesh. Unless I really was God in the flesh. And Abby will tell you I'm not. Okay? <laughs> so... And so we look at this and we go, all right. So God the Spirit indwells the believer when a believer confesses that and acknowledges that he is a sinner or she is a sinner. We stand in need of God's grace. We make that confession. We believe in Jesus. We call upon the name of the Lord and the word says we shall be saved. What does that mean? We're saved. We're saved and spared from the wrath of God that must fall on all of the guilty. What makes us innocent and what makes us guilty? Sin makes us guilty. And so the only way we can not be guilty is to have our sin removed. And the only way we can deal with personal sin and remove it from our lives is for there to be a sacrifice that covers that sin. That's why we sing about the blood washes away my sin. It is the sacrifice of Christ that takes care of my sin. It is not my duty. It is not my works that takes care of my sin. It is Jesus's work. That's it. It is the atoning sacrifice as of Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so when I believe that, and I confess that, and I put my faith in Jesus alone, in Christ alone, that's it, not, nothing else. In Christ alone, not my self-righteousness, not my worth, in Christ alone is where I stand. When I do that, then Christ lives in me. When I believe on him, when I call upon him, he lives in me. He was in the cloud. He was in the fire. He was on the planet. He's in me as the fire. Okay? The Spirit of God burns deep inside of my heart. 
And now he's inside of me. And Jesus taught that we can expect some things from the Holy Spirit. So as we study the book of John, we have all of these encounters Christ had with people. And we get to John like 15, 16, 17. And we have all of this doctrine of the, the Holy Spirit, the pneuma of God, the breath of God. Sometimes the word uh, is used paracleti, and it, it means the comforter or counselor. And so we have all of this teaching about them. And so Jesus teaches us there's some things we can expect. So as a believer, if you are indwelt with the Spirit, and you have come to know Christ experientially, you don't know about him, you know him. Okay, And so you know him personally. There are expectations you, you, you can have about how the Spirit moves. If you're here and you're like, I, d- I don't know if I know Christ, then right now for you it ought to be you need to come to know Christ. If you're here during this series and you know Christ, it ought to be that you're, you're asking what can I, like what should I expect out of the Holy Spirit to move in my life and help me to be in on the movement of God. And I think some of the things we will learn about how the Spirit works in the believer's life, as the unbeliever is is seeking, we will see the same things being played out by the Holy Spirit in helping this person come to a place of belief in their life. And here's the first thing Jesus taught. You can expect the Holy Spirit to speak through you, right? Mark chapter 13, verse 11, one of the early followers of Jesus, one of the disciples, whenever you are arrested... And brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. So here we have some teaching that we can expect that there are times in our lives we can totally expect the Holy Spirit to speak through us. A lot of times we do those baptisms and and we have people come up and they share their story before they're baptized on video. And some of you need to do that. Like some of you have not made that decision and stepped into that. And, and a, one of the reasons some people haven't, haven't done it is, is it's, it can be intimidating to shoot that video. I don't, know, I don't know what I would say. I mean, what's my story? We could just as easily say, do not worry about when you need to go shoot your baptismal testimony video, for the Spirit of God will speak through you in that moment. And he will say through you what he wants to say to the people that will listen to that video, whether it is in person on a Sunday morning or it's on the internet, um, you know, five years from now. God will speak through you. He's, He's speaking through me right now. Like I don't get up and just try to give you a nice little homily. What can I put together and, and make you feel like you feel better about yourself and send you on your way so that you have a good spring break? I could care less about that. What I do is I come and I try to sit with the Lord. Lord, what does your people need to be taught? What do they need to hear? And I try to come and I try to preach in the power and demonstration of the Spirit. And he speaks through me. He speaks through me sometimes when I'm interacting with one individual person. Sometimes he speaks through me when I'm parenting my children. And I see that God will speak through me. And and I expect him to speak through me because he says that's exactly what I should expect. And I should be looking for him to do that. And, And so like I have an expectation and Jesus said I should have an expectation that the Holy Spirit will speak through me. So if you're going to be in on the movement of God and be a part of the things that are happening in the kingdom and really, to, quite frankly, just to enjoy your faith, you should be having times where the Lord is speaking through you. 
He's living in you. He's speaking through you in different ways, and he will surprise you. And when he does, it's a very enjoyable experience. Here's the second thing. You can expect the Holy Spirit to remind you to act. In John chapter 14, verse 26, but the counselor, it says, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. He teaches you and he reminds you. So the Holy Spirit will teach me things from the word and he will remind those things that he has taught me at the times, probably most likely when he's about to speak through me or he wants me to do something. Okay, so the word remind here is um, the word hupomimnesco. And it means literally to cause one to remember, to remind. It's, it's sort of an indication or the idea that he will prompt you into action. And so he will just, he will kind of nudge and he will move and he will prompt you into some sort of an action. Now, immediately following this teaching about the Holy Spirit, Jesus follows with teaching about abiding and bearing fruit in Christ. And, and he says this in John chapter 15. So in 1426, he says, the Holy Spirit will remind you, it will teach you. Then Jesus says in John 15, verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you could do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So Jesus says, apart from him, you can do nothing, but with him you can take action, and the action you are to take will be action that the Spirit reminds you to act. This is why I'm always telling you, man, it's so important to be in the Word. Why is it important to be in the Word? You say, man, I read something, and nothing really spoke to me this morning when I was reading the Word. It's because the Spirit has the power to remind you of something that didn't speak to you on Monday, but it sure, it sure as heck you, you were able to use on Friday. And you can't even remember, all of a sudden you weren't even thinking about it, you're in a situation, and then just boom, you realize, the Lord had me read that because it was getting me ready for this situation that I'm facing on Friday. And, and, and that could happen a year down the road. It could happen when you're talking to someone that you read something. You're not even thinking about what you read, but it encouraged you in some way. And then all of a sudden you run into somebody at, at the store and you're having a conversation with them and they're, they're down about some things where things haven't been going good in their lives. And all of a sudden you find yourself saying something that you read, even if you're not actually quoting the, the, the scripture, you're sharing the truth. And that's because the spirit of God is reminding you, he's prompting you of something. He's moving uh, in your life in a special way. And so when that happens, man, it's a really cool thing. It's a really cool thing when you see the spirit of God remind you of something that he's taught you and use it in the kingdom to help somebody else. And if, if that happens, you kind of start to get motivated. You're like, Jesus, this, this, this Christianity thing is not about not what I don't do. It's about how the Lord is just helping me be who he wants me to be. And so I'm not always thinking about, I'm not supposed to do this and I am supposed to do that. I'm just thinking about Jesus, man. I'm thinking about the spirit of God moving in my life and realizing, man, he wants to speak through me. He wants to remind me of things. And then we can expect the Holy Spirit to guide us. He will guide you. In John 16, verse 13, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. 
And he will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. Okay? The Spirit of God gets you ready for things that are coming into your life. Now, here's, here's how I think that plays out, or at least it has for me. The Lord has never told me specifically every single thing in detail, but he has sure told me in bigger, like bigger pictures of what is to come in situations. There have been times that um, I've had where I could feel in the inside, like I could feel prompted by the Spirit of God that something evil was about to happen. Even to the point that I've shared it with Abby. I said, listen, you need to be on guard because I can tell, man, that, like, what, what, like the, the, the Lord is impressing upon me. We need to be ready. Some bad news is coming. And, and I can remember several occasions where things like this has happened. One, one in particular comes to mind. I'm not going to share the details, but I told her that on a Wednesday. And, and somebody come in on a Friday that, um, uh, that was a staff member at the church. And, and, and things, man, it just blew. Like they, they were facing some very difficult stuff in their lives. And I look back on that, and I was like, man, the Lord was getting me ready. He was getting me ready so that I wouldn't be totally discouraged and so that I could navigate through it. And, and there are just instances where lo the Lord will guide you in ways and make things known to you, and sometimes you won't completely understand what it is that the Lord is doing. And so he will use these things and cause you to act in ways you don't even know why you're acting these ways. Now, Shay is home. I hope, Shay, bro, I hope you're watching. Shay, man, he's, he got a, a wisdom tooth extracted. And uh, he, did, he needs to hold on to all the wisdom he has, and so that's bad news. <laughs> but he's home, and I think uh, Abby said he had a dry socket or something, which the problem was he had it extracted on Tuesday, and we went down to play pickleball, and he should have been resting, and he was playing pickleball, and he probably made things worse. But anyway. Tacos. Huh? He was eating tacos. Oh, and he was eating tacos. You're not going to keep that boy away from a taco. So anyway, Shay, Shay is like, we love Shay, man. Shay has been such a godsend to our church, to me personally as a minister, uh, to our students, to many of you. Many of you guys are here because of your relationship with Shay, even if it was indirectly because he met somebody and they've invited somebody else. And, and so the Lord has really used Shay. Well, how in the world did Shay get here? Let me tell you how Shay got here. I have been praying um, and like I, I pray every day, and I've been praying for um, the Lord like to provide some ministry help because we had some people vacating the, their positions. They were moving. And this was several years ago. I don't know when it was, but I go to Lifetime, and I play basketball. Well, I did. I don't. You can tell I'm not doing anything right now uh, <laughs> besides pickleball. Um, but anyway, I go down there, and I play, play, play basketball. And so one time, I, one of the, there's another guy who's a youth minister at another church over here. Um, I don't remember the name of it, but not too far away. And we're friends. And he had told me one week, <laughs> I like telling this story. But I, didn't, I had seen Shay in there playing basketball, and I just didn't know what I thought of Shay. Like, I just didn't know. I, I just wasn't sure yet. You know, I didn't know him very well and, and didn't know anything about him. And so I... This, but this guy told me, he said, you know, hey, Shay, he's, he's kind of thought about, we're sitting on the bench. He said, that guy's kind of thought about, I've talked to him before about church planning. I was like, huh. I didn't talk to him about it at all. I just started praying for the dude. I didn't even know his name uh, at this point. And so a couple of weeks go by, and I tell Shay, 
Again, I don't know Shay. I don't know how he is, anything about him. He's just a dude that I'm not even sure if I like that plays basketball up there. That's all he is. And I tell him, I say, hey, man, I've been praying for you. And he looks at me, and he says, really? And I said, yeah. And he said, about what? I said, about whether or not you're supposed to start a church. And he says, huh, that led to a lunch that led to a couple of more lunches, and then he was going to move back to Arkansas. I had invited him to go to a conference with me, a church planning conference that he was going to go. Then he flaked out on me and said he wasn't going. He was moving back to Arkansas. And then the next thing I know, that thing falls apart, and he calls me back and says, I've changed my mind. I decided I am going to go with you. That going back to Arkansas deal is falling apart. And he said that he felt like the Lord was up to something. Well, we had lunch again. I think it was our third time. And then we found out we both liked to bow hunt, okay? Then he sure wasn't going back to Arkansas after that, right? And then, so he goes to the conference with us. I remember the first time, it was about this time of year, Molly walked in with the kids. I met Molly, and I ended up hiring Molly as the kids director. And so why do I say all that to you? That was all directed by the Spirit of the Lord. I didn't go and ask somebody, hey, where can I find a good um, associate pastor or kids director? I just got before the Lord and said, I need some help, Lord. I need you to send somebody to me. And then I just told him I was praying for him. So that is the Lord, like he's, he's, he's moving, he's, he's making things known, he's guiding, he's leading in all of these areas. And so when you start living that way, what you'll see is that the, as the Lord does these things, as he guides you, he will, also, um, he will also make things known to you. And, and we see that he says in verse 15 of chapter 16, all that belongs to the Father is mine, and that is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. And so we can see sometimes the Spirit guides us and prompts us to do other things, and then sometimes the Lord is going to take, and He's going to take something that is His and make it known to you. And so the question that this causes me to ask is, what is His? What, is, what does Jesus own? And the Word says that foxes have dens and birds. This is what Jesus said. Foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay His head. He didn't even have a house. So what did he possess if he's going to take from what is own and make it known to you? He, he has people. That's all Jesus has is people and truth. He goes on to say in the next chapter, in verse 6, as he's talking to God the Father and modeling prayer for his disciples, he says, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. And so... When we see that happening, what we see is Jesus is revealing himself to people whom God the Father has given to him as he walks through the world. So he's helping people understand who he is. And so when Jesus says that all that belongs to the Father is mine, um, and and that is why the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. I believe what happens is that what the Lord will take, and if we're living in this way where we're complementing, we're harmonizing with the Holy Spirit, we're trying to listen to how he moves, then the Lord will take, and as he's moving in a person's, another person's life, he will reveal and make that known to me if I'm listening. 
and he will show me this is one of my people. Now, I didn't lead Shay to the Lord, and so I'm kind of connecting two different types of stories, but the Lord clearly wanted us to be together in ministry. And the Lord revealed that to me as I was praying and I was just trying to listen and I was like, I was watching for where the Lord was moving. Then I start to see the Lord's moving and then it would start to build on one another. Well, there, there are other things, man, the Lord will lead you and he will reveal other people in your life that he is moving in their lives. And just as Jesus is saying, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. God will use you to reveal uh, um, himself to somebody else that he's already started to work in their lives. Somebody who's already hungry, somebody that wants to hear it. And when that happens, whenever you experience things like this, it's, it's the most incredible experience that you can have as a human being. And it's probably, and it's, it's, this is really sad, for a lot of believers, it feels foreign and uncommon. And it should be the most common thing happening to you as a believer of Jesus. You say, well, why isn't it? Because the warfare, like when we look in the Bible and we see all this demon possession and, and all of this, like, man, people doing weird things, and we go, why isn't that happening today? Because it would never work in our day and age. Because the world has been, like, light, the light of Christ has been shed on the world for 2,000 years, and people have walked with Jesus, and there's no way believers are going to be intimidated by that kind of stuff. But you know what they are? They're distracted by all of the other things going on around them. We're distracted by stuff that how we can fix up our homes and buy new cars and have these experiences and go to these places. And so we are being duped and we're buying into a lie when the kingdom of God, man, is, it can't be seen with physical eyes. You can only walk it out with spiritual eyes. And when you start to walk it out, this other stuff will not have near as much meaning to you. Now, we're not saying in any shape or fashion that the other stuff is bad. What we are saying is if you're not careful, you will be focused on and worshiping the stuff and you will miss everything about the kingdom and it will be hard to experience the move of the Spirit because you're moving with the world. You're not moving with the King. And so like we look at this and we go, well, the pneuma of God is alive and active. He does all these things. If I will walk in this, and so why, why would I even be like motivated to walk in that? Here's why. Because um, Jesus also said we can expect the Holy Spirit to fill us with joy when we walk that out. Look at verse 11 of John chapter 15. He says, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Okay, this is the word and it means to fill to the full measure, nothing shall be wanting. Okay? So whenever the Spirit speaks through me, reminds me, guides me, makes things known to me, and it happens, the result is I just have joy. And I'm like, this is amazing. And so there's something happening deep on the inside of me that is impacting all that is happening around me. And it puts me in a place where I am able to enjoy life in a greater capacity. This is why Jesus said, you want to find your life, lose it. You, you want to, um, he who um, gains the whole world, if you gain the whole world and forfeit your soul, what does it profit you? But if you will find yourself in Christ, he said, man, um, the thief comes to what? He comes to kill, steal, and to destroy, but I've come to give you what? Give you life in abundance. 
Well, how does, what does an abundant life look like? An abundant life looks like somebody who's walking in step with the Spirit of God and the Lord is moving in their lives and getting them in on the movement of the kingdom and he's filling them with joy and they're not captivated by all the things that they can see. They just recognize that those as tools around them, they are captivated by the things that they cannot see and they're walking in step with God the Spirit, who is every bit as much as of God is God the Son, Jesus, and God the Father. And so we're listening, we're walking and keeping in step with the Spirit. Now, here's this is really important, is that we don't walk in obedience to please God. We walk in obedience, and God pleases us. You can't do anything to please God. If you could, then Jesus would not have had to come. This relationship is about being in a covenant relationship with the creator of the universe. And as we walk in obedience, he will pour the spirit. He will pour the fruit of the spirit out in our lives. But that doesn't mean that we've done something to earn that. What it means is we recognize we can't do anything to earn that, and we are walking in obedience and letting him guide us, and he lives in us. And just as the Ark of the Covenant and the tent were packed up and moved whenever the cloud would arise and move and the children of Israel would move and they would set up camp somewhere else, then the Spirit of God is leading me as the temple of Holy Spirit to move where he wants to go. And the reason Jesus said you will do greater things than I've ever done is because there will be, you will, there will be temples of his Holy Spirit all over the globe. And they started in this little bitty place called Jerusalem. Yet they're all over the globe today. And here we are 2,000 years later, and I'm sitting up here talking about it and teaching from the truth. Now, there's a fascinating story that I want to paraphrase. I'm going to take the time to read it, but I want to do this because we see it modeled out. It's in Acts chapter 8. Philip is not an apostle. He is a man that is described as being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so he's not one of the 12, but he's a dude in the church that God is moving in. And Stephen, he's kind of like Stephen. Stephen was the same type of guy. He was a man filled with the Holy Spirit. Stephen, in Acts chapter 7, toward the end, he is stoned. Um, they, they kill him because he's preaching Christ, and, and he's, he, he's doing it with the religious leaders. And after his death, it says the church scattered from Jerusalem because they were scared they were going to get killed too. And so as Peter, or as uh, Philip is there in Jerusalem. He moves on and he goes to Samaria. And he's just sharing the gospel with people. He's letting the Lord move and he's following the Lord. And, and people are getting saved. People are coming to know the Lord. And uh, it, it describes it as, man, some miraculous stuff was happening around Philip. Well, during the midst of all of this movement that Philip has experienced in, in Samaria, he feels the Spirit of God prompt him. And as he's walking all these things out, and the Lord says to him um, that you are to go south on the desert road. Now, what is the desert road? Well, there were two roads that led to Gaza. And so one road was a desert road, and the other road was the one that, that was traveled all the time. And the reason there were two roads is because Gaza had been destroyed as a city, 
And they rebuilt it, and they rebuilt it in another location, and they built a new road to it. And so when, G, when, when the Spirit of God is moving in a very powerful way in Philip's life, he's seeing people come into the kingdom. There's movement, man, and he's a part of it. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God starts prompting him and telling him to go down the desert road. And that would be the equivalent of saying, hey, I want you to go to Lewisburg and take Metcalf, not 69. That's crazy. Right? And, and then Metcalf would be a gravel road all the way out, like it was a few years ago, right? And so Philip like listens. He leaves all of the movement. He starts walking down the desert road. And he's probably on the way thinking, why would God pull me out of Samaria and have me walk down this desert road? This is ludicrous. Why am I walking down this road? And then all of a sudden, as he's walking down the road, he encounters a chariot. And inside the chariot is the secretary of finance for Ethiopia. And, and so like now he's not alone on a road that he should have been alone on in the middle of the day that nobody traveled because the spirit of God told him to walk that road instead of the, the other road. And the Lord tells him, hey, go get up next to that chariot. And so Philip's like, okay, he gets up next to the chariot. When he gets up next to the chariot, he hears the guy inside the chariot reading, and the guy is reading from the book of Isaiah. And, and so as Philip's sitting there, the Spirit of God doesn't tell him to do anything right here. He just acts. He knows. At this point, he knows God is up to something. That's why he had me come down this road. That's why I read, ran into that chariot, because that guy in there is 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 trying to find the Lord and he doesn't know him. And so P Philip calls out to the chariot and he says, hey, do you understand what you're reading? <laughs> and the guy in the chariot, the secretary of finance says, how could I unless somebody explains it to me? So he went from walking the desert road to now he's riding in the limo. And he's talking to this guy. This guy had been reading about the book from the book prophet Isaiah that was written 400 years before. And what was he reading about? He was reading about the prophecy about um, uh, Jesus, the Messiah that would come and save Israel. And so he says, who's this guy talking about? Is he talking about himself or is he talking about someone else? And from that point, it says that, that, that Philip started to explain to him who Jesus was, what Jesus had just done, and all of these other things. And, and, and it, it, like the, the gospel is opened up to this guy, and when he, when he hears it, he's, he, they come across some water. He sees some water, and Philip, at this point, they've rowed a while. I don't know. Maybe they, they've made it past Bucyrus by this point, right? And, and, and he's like, um, he sees some water. He says, look, there's some water. What prevents me from being baptized right here? Now, the Greek word, right, for the word baptize is, or what prevents me is is, is a word that means what's hindering me, what's hindering my baptism right here and now. And so now he is being prompted by the Spirit of God, just like Peter was being prompted by the Spirit of God to walk the desert road. This new believer in Christ is being prompted when he sees the water and saying, he's prompting him, you need to follow the Lord and get baptized. And so they stop right there and they, he gets baptized. And after he gets baptized, it says that Philip is carried away and the Ethiopian guy went along rejoicing. And so what happened is the result was joy, great joy out of both of them as the kingdom moved. And, and so when we, when we look at this and recognize what's happening, you go, well, why would God, like, see, that's really a cool story, but why would God take Philip out of this city where there were a lot of people meeting the Lord and put him over here on this road to meet this one guy? Well, Irenaeus tells us who he's an early church father, and in his writings, he tells us that this Ethiopian guy went back home and became a missionary 
and the gospel was opened up to Ethiopia. And so sometimes it will feel absurd what God is asking you to do. As a matter of fact, I would say when it comes to listening to the the Spirit of the Lord and letting Him guide you, if it feels crazy, it's probably the Lord. If it makes no sense, but you can tell, man, the Lord is asking you to do this, and it it doesn't compromise um, the Scripture, and you've vetted it, and you've sat with the Lord, and it, it just feels crazy, then there are a lot of times, like, it's probably the Lord. And that's what makes following Jesus so fun. If you follow Jesus and you're trying to keep this Christianity thing up and all you do is come and listen to my sermons every week, God help your soul, man. That's that's not what this is about. the, The reason we come in here for instruction and celebration is so that I can equip you and send you back out there and say, man, you you are a missionary to the people around you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and God wants to use you. He's moving all around us, and he will move through you. He will speak through you. He will guide you. He will reveal things to you. He will make things known to you that he wants you to be involved in where he's bringing somebody else into the kingdom. And when that happens, there's not a greater experience in all of life. And so the more dependent we become on the Holy Spirit, the more joy we possess. And so here's the big idea for you today, is be dependent and act on the divine directives that you receive. And so I believe with all of my heart, man, this is not hard. It's not awkward. It's not like, oh my gosh, i got to share my faith. This is like... I had, uh, we had kind of a get-together over at the Barrett's house this week, and there's a new family here called the, um, the Rivas family. They're sitting right over here. Awesome family. I said, how'd you guys get to church here? How did you end up finding us? He said, well, Charlie, <laughs> which is Jason and Stephanie's, one of their youngest, this Charlie. Look out, stand up, Charlie, man. Yeah, man. The gospel is moving through him. They found their way, and they've been looking for a church. And so he was just, in, and this is why Jesus said, man, are you, like people in the kingdom, they need to have faith like a child. And you know what we do? We're like, ah, they, don't want, like, they don't want me to, people don't want me to invite them. People don't want me to bring this up around them. This is a private matter. According to what we find in the New Testament, it is not a private matter. It is a divine matter, and the Lord will move, and he will show you people. He will help you. And if you'll just open your mouth and let it happen, man, you will begin to see all around you the Lord is at work, and he's moving, and your life will become meaningful. It will become abundant. It will become joyful and you go, well, I don't, like, what I do, I can't tell you what to do. I can just tell you how it works. But when you encounter somebody, if you encounter somebody and the Lord is, is trying to bring them along in the journey, like, just start with where they're at. That's what Philip did. He didn't run up and go, oh, there's some people up there. I'm going to run up there and share the gospel with them. No, he's just walking down the road because the Lord told him to walk down the road. Then the Lord said, get up closer to that, that group of people. He got up closer to the group of people, and as he was listening, he could tell there was one guy who was asking some spiritual questions and reading some spiritual truth. He was close to the kingdom, but he wasn't in the kingdom. He didn't even know who Jesus was. And so he just asked him a question, and the guy purely said, man, I want to understand it, but I'm confused. And the next thing we know, we've got a missionary in the kingdom. And so like, what I want to encourage you to do, man, is like this week, just go out there and like, keep your spiritual eyes open. 
Keep your spiritual ears in tune because this is what I can promise you is the spiritual enemy we face is going to constantly be trying to get us to put blinders on where we can't see what the Lord is doing. We can't hear. And he's going to distract us with all this noise that really doesn't add to our lives. And so we have to kind of come against that. And we have to pray about it. We have to pray that we're sensitive, that we're looking, and then the Lord will move and he will help us in all those situations. And so to close the service out today, we're going to take communion. The elements are there in front of you. If you're here and you don't know the Lord, man, and maybe the Lord is like inviting you to be a part of his kingdom, uh, and you got questions, hey, and this is me asking, hey, if you don't understand what you're reading, just, just give a shout out. Like put a, not right now, right? <laughs> okay, but put a connection card in the, in the plate at the back when you leave. Say, I want, man, I'd like to talk. Send an email and we'll get up in the chariot with you and we'll talk. And we don't try to make you become something you're not ready for. We'll just try to help you understand what the Lord is doing in your life. And, and, and if, he's in, if, he's, if you're one of his, quit running from him. It's a miserable place to be. And those of you who already know him, man, before you take communion, I want you to just spend a moment in prayer and, and just talk to the Lord about revealing his divine directives to you and you being able to, you being, you're not missing them. You're seeing them. And don't make it hard. Like, just look for one small thing because it tends to start small and builds out. And as you describe it in hindsight, you can put it all together. But while it's unfolding, you can, all you can do is trust what the Lord is doing. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the Holy Spirit and how you move in our lives. I pray, Father, that you will give us a sensitivity to your leading and that we would have our eyes open and our ears open and we would see you moving and, 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 and you would reveal to us those around us whom you're, you're, you're wanting to call into the kingdom and you would let us be a part of that revelation. Thank you for get the high privilege of being able to do that. Thank you for what you're doing in this ministry and thank you for these people, Lord. They're hungry and they desire to follow you. And so we pray in the name of Christ that you would make it so. And we ask all these things today before we receive this communion in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at overlandpark.cc.